Hello, ambitious working moms. I have a real treat for you. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing Nicole Stark Hesthead. Now, Nicole is a working mom of three, and she is a money coach. She coaches individuals and couples on how to love every money decision they make and how to make decisions to build a life that they feel amazing about. This conversation is just going to blow your mind because we talk about a way of thinking about money that's very different than how we're taught to think about money in a more traditional sense. She starts out by saying that she never looks at her bank account to determine whether she can afford something or not. Instead, she decides what she wants, and then she tells the dollars what to do. And you're going to hear me actually wrestle with this concept and push back a little bit from her. Like, I really wanted to understand what she meant by that. How do you tell dollars what to do? That feels so kind of woo-woo and a a little illogical on some level. But what you're going to see as we talk about it is a way that she thinks about money versus a way that I've thought about money or probably you think about money, where she believes that she controls every single dollar that comes in and every future dollar that she has and how the way she thinks about money brings about this sense of freedom and control and like spaciousness and abundance that for many of us, we just never experience. In the interview, we talk about debt and a new way to think about debt. We talk about the importance of delayed gratification and talking to your future self about your current money decisions. We talk about how every money decision you make should have a return on the investment. And we talk a lot about feeling worthy of spending money on yourself and how to move past the discomfort and the selfishness or irresponsibility that many of us feel when we choose to spend money on ourselves. True to my style, this interview picks up mid-conversation. Actually, when Nicole logged on for the interview, I was in the middle of reading her story on her website because I didn't actually know how she had become a money coach, even though we've known each other for quite a while now, a couple of years. We are colleagues. We're in a mastermind together. So I was in the middle of reading the story, and I didn't have her up on my screen. And then all of a sudden, she talked, and I like jumped because the story was so good, and I was so engrossed in it that she startled me when she came on. And I just had to have her tell me in her own words, like, how the rest of the story went so that I could capture it here on this podcast. So you're going to hear kind of the latter half of her story on essentially how she became a money coach and how that all came about. All you really need to know, like the earlier part, is that she got married in 2007, kind of just after graduating college. And then, of course, the 2008 market crash happened and she and her husband just couldn't find full-time work. They ended both kind of getting a low-paying job that was just part-time and they just started swimming in debt and they couldn't afford health coverage. And they had all of these student loans that were starting to come in that they couldn't pay back. And what she says is that the only thing that she and her husband could think of doing was just to apply for grad school. (laughs) And she tells the story about how in order to afford the application fees, they ended up having to eat mac and cheese for like two weeks. Anyway, it's such a great story. So that's essentially where we pick up is that she and her husband have decided that they have to go to grad school and they have to figure out how to afford it and how to just pay to just get themselves there. And then she's going to share the rest with you. It's so good. I can't wait for you to get to know Nicole and hear her story and hear her thoughts about how to think about money. This is so good. Y'all ready? Let's get to it. Welcome to the Ambitious and Balanced Working Mom Podcast, the place for women who want to balance their ambitious career goals with their life as a mom. If you're looking to feel more confident, decisive, and productive at both work and home, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Rebecca Olson. Let's get to it. Here is what I love. I'm in the middle of reading your story because I didn't know your story. I'm at the point where you had to decide if you were going to go to graduate school or not, right? And you say, you know, this felt like an impossible decision. Like you couldn't afford it. Literally on paper, you could not afford it. And yet, like your future could not afford you not to do this. Tell me, tell me, just tell me in your own words, what happens after this? Well, I go to grad school. We decide to dive. You do end up going. And what do you go to grad school for? The the program that took me. And that's the honest truth. Like my husband and I, we made 
a decision to not pay our rent in full. Okay. Like this is, these were the choices we were up against. Like we did not. Wow. To not pay your rent in full. Okay. Not pay our rent in full. And we decided to, I think that week, our dinner every night was like Kraft mac and cheese. Like we literally did not buy anything for two weeks and we delayed paying our rent in full. And we each made a deal. We had enough for both of us to pay two application fees each. And so we each got two programs. And our goal was the program we thought would take us and pay us a stipend. So we needed stipend paying programs. So we each applied to two and charmed our land. I remember talking to our landlord and he was like, where's the rest? I was like, go get it. It felt like one of those movies. Like, you don't get it when you get it, right? Yeah. And then we both did our best to try to work overtime, but it was the 2008 financial crisis. And so like Uh, literally, and we lived in this like, tiny space south of Atlanta. Yeah, you describe it in here as being infested with cockroaches. Oh God. I don't put this in there. At least I don't think I had it in there. We moved into our apartment. We came back from our honeymoon and we were like, everything's going to be great. We got into our apartment and within the first five days, we had our first shooting in the complex. Oh my God. In the complex? So our unit was here and it was the unit that was like catty corner to us. They had a shooting. That's crazy. And I say our first. So we lived in that complex for 11 months. And I think we were privy to five different shootings, not including any other like crime. That's crazy. Okay. So what was this program though? Tell me about the program you got accepted to and you went to. I got accepted to the University of Kentucky, which we live in Lexington now. So we actually ended up really loving it here. I got accepted into the University of Kentucky's family studies program. Family studies. I don't even know what that is. Exactly. It's the study of families. (laughs) What is that? So I got in based on my psychology degree and like my stuff, but I got in And to be honest, like I applied because I have family in Kentucky and I was like, we could be close to family. So if anything happens, like we're an hour from family. So we applied to, and I don't even remember what the other program was that I applied to now, but I was like, I think I can get in because this is a small enough program and I look good enough on paper that I think I can. And they had a stipend. Like that was the rule. Like if they didn't pay their grad students a stipend and cover tuition, we couldn't apply. Not every program does that or the ones that do are super hyper competitive. And so I was like, we can't afford, I said, I need to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Like, I don't even care what it is. We have to do something different. Um, so I won, I got in, (laughs) I'm the one that got into grad school. I got the highest paying stipend with tuition covered. And you moved from basically outside Atlanta to Kentucky. From the south side of Atlanta to central Kentucky, about an hour from where Stacy is. Oh, I see. Okay. So where we were in Louisville, I'm a little bit the coastline. Fast forward a little bit though, for me, like how did that program lead you to being a money coach? Oh, so when you get there, you have a stipend, right? Which means you have to do work as a grad student, they do a job and it's usually a teacher's assistant or research assistant or both. So you could have a full stipend where you did both. And I got a half stipend doing a teaching assistant. Well, the teacher I got paired with was the personal finance and family economics professor. Oh, wow. Part of the family science program, they did this like two or three courses in like money and how it affects the family. And I got paired with him and he was like, great, you're going to be grading because he, he's Korean. And so he was like, I really don't like grading because I don't like reading in English that much. And so you're going to be doing it all. So here's the textbook. Here are all the journal articles. Become a money expert. And I was like, I don't know if you know this, but I'm $4,200 in credit card debt just trying to get here to this program. So (laughs) I don't know if I'm the one that should be like, uh, (laughs) because we couldn't even just pay our bills two months ago. Okay. Like that's crazy. But something about that must've been super transformational for you. Well, it was one of those things where it was like, I literally know nothing about this. So I guess better get to work. So I read the textbook three times, cover to cover. I read every article he gave me. And then I was like, Hey, this seems like the key to everything. (laughs) Understanding this money stuff feels like the key to everything. You know, as a student, you get a library card to the university library and I probably wore a hole in mine. Like I checked out every book. I started reading white papers on it. So I was reading like economics journals, like everything, anything, finances. I was like, this is the it, right? Like knowing this is going to change everything for me. and so. Probably 
two months after I started that TA, I looked at my husband and I said, I want sole control over our finances. I was like, that doesn't mean I'm not going <laughs> to talk to you about it, but like, I want to do it. I'm going to change everything. I think I'm getting something down. Do you trust me to figure this out for us? And he said, yes. And he was like, yes, take it, do it all. Please take it away. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm exhausted. Don't talk. Don't even talk to me about it. I just basically, I changed all of our rules. We were my first client, me and my husband. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I want to hear some of these rules. So <laughs> when you say change the rules, what did you change? I changed the rules. I changed the rules on literally everything from how we physically paid for stuff. I created a system for us that like, it became easy for me to see what we were paying for and how much money was left. This is how we pay for stuff. So if he like paid for something in cash, I was like, what are you doing? That's not part of the system, right? Like (laughs) I created something for us that I could track with minimal effort. And then on top of that, I created a way for me to make money go exactly where I needed it to go at all times. This sounds very magical. Nicole. Well, and and my <laughs> husband, you know, we, we reflect on that time and it was like, we were in this chaotic space where every decision we would go look at our bank account to make the decision. And what happened after I started doing this, like implementing and experimenting in this way was we started making decisions and then I would make the money do the thing. Like I never check my bank account to make a decision. I make a decision and then I tell my bank account, hey, we're doing this, so you better fund it. Okay, hold on. We're going to talk about this for a second because that feels so foreign to me. And I am sure a lot of people, you probably, I mean, I will for sure use parts of this on the podcast is hearing your story. So we're just going to dive right into it. So the money is either there or it's not. I know you enough to know that you're also a very linear person and it's very... I mean, you are a dreamer, but you don't live in that kind of outer rim space. You're very linear. You're very logical. So am I. And so the idea that you're telling me, to me, it's like the money's either there or it's not, which is how you're telling me you approached it before. It's like, if we have it, then we'll pay for it. And if we don't, then we won't. I don't understand the other way of thinking about it. Tell me about that. (laughs) The other way of thinking about it is really like, it's this deep seated belief that the money is there because I said it was going to be there. Of course, the money is there. I told it to go there. Does this make sense? Like, I mean, how do you manifest that? <laughs> well, I don't. I make it. I, I don't manifest. I earn it. Like, just to put it in real terms, like prior to going into our own businesses, which is a whole different money craziness, but like the highest income my family ever had combined. Okay. Prior to my husband and I jumping into our own businesses, he jumped in 2018. I jumped in 2019. So 2018, we have been married and being a family since 2007. So from 2007 to 2018, the highest our joint income had ever been was $76,000 in that time. In that time with just $76,000, actually lower than that. Cause when, like, I think about everything we've made our money do in that time, our income was so much lower when we started doing these things. And that was when he finally got a job. For a while, we were on one income, just me. And my highest at that point was 42000 I think. And we went on our vacations. I bought a house and a car and we went on a trip to Aruba in the same year on 42K. And we had two kids. And the guy that I bought our, like did our mortgage for our house, he was like, I've never seen a credit score like this. What are you doing? I was like, I think it's just the way I think about these things. Like, this is how I want to do it. And I've also, like during that time, I've leveraged debt too. Like I've never been afraid of debt. And it's because I used it. I used it to further my life. And so I always think like whenever I have debt, like it's just an investment. Like I'm going to get something back from that as long as it was an intentional use. And so during this time, I keep thinking like, yeah. It seemed like we really didn't have enough money, like on paper, like we didn't have enough money to be doing everything we were doing. And yet we were doing it because we were resourceful. I did not outsource my choices to my inanimate object of dollars. I made my choices and then I just told the dollars what to do differently to make that choice happen. And 
at that income level, like you are saying no to a lot of other things in order to say yes to the things you want to say yes to. For me, I think my number one thing is my yes is yes. And that means anything that's not that yes is just a no. Just even like, okay, we're either going to pay rent or we're going to apply to get out of this hole. Okay, I guess we're going to only pay half the rent. That's my yes. Like I'm applying to these things. So I'm going to have a mad landlord. I'm going to have to call the electric company. We're only eating mac and cheese for the next two weeks. Those are the decisions because that's not the yes. The thing that was the yes was like, we're getting out of this. Like this is the goal right now. And so depending on your income level, like that lower income level, you do say no to a lot of things in order to say yes to something. However, I have not stayed at that income level and our income level has still like gone up every year. And now that I'm at a higher income level with my husband, like now that we're in six figures rather than, you know, it, right. <laughs> like now that we're, you know, both have six out of both the poverty line, <laughs> you know, like now that we're in our, you know, this higher level of bringing in money, it's one of those things where like continuing that mindset has really served us so that we can continue to do what we want to do when we want to do it. Like sometimes that means saying no to something that we really want to do in favor of the thing that we really want to do more. Like now we get to choose between two yeses a lot of times, but it's still serving because I tell the money, the money doesn't tell me anything. Does that make sense? Sort of. (laughs) I mean, sort of. But when I think about what that would look like tangibly, I don't have any clue what you mean, like on on a practical level, right? Give me an example of something that you're telling the money to do today that maybe isn't in the bank right now? So something that I'm telling my money to do right now that isn't technically in the bank is that my husband and I made the decision this year to buy a veterinarian clinic. And so that's another example too of leveraging debt. Like we had to leverage a massive amount of debt, a very uncomfortable amount of debt, even for me, right? Like it's a $1 million purchase. And so we're telling our dollars, like, that's the thing. And in order to get that kind of loan, I had to tell money that I had not even created for this year to go towards making that loan the best possible terms. So like the lowest possible interest rate, the max amount of money that they would give so that he could have like revolving capital when he takes over, you know, like just different reasons to channel our income and even like our credit, like our available credit into being ready for this thing. And we decided that we were going to go for the purchase in 2022, which we don't close. We're going to close at the end of this month. But like we went for the purchase in 2022 with the goal of a December close. So like we made that decision in April. And so like from April to December, dollars we hadn't even made, they were allocated to that space. And decisions we would have made or things that we would have done, we said no to. Like what? So last year we celebrated 15 years of marriage and we were supposed to go on a European vacation. And we said no. We're like, no, we'll wait. We'll go at six. Because you had allocated the money toward getting the best terms for this loan. And that is where you wanted the money to go. That was the bigger yes. Like Greece is still like, it was supposed to be a Greece vacation, right? Like it's still a yes. And we still want to go. It's just this year, it was like one of those things where it was like, okay, we could do that. Or I could take that money and invest it into this big yes and actually probably pay for Greece. Like maybe we could even do a bigger trip than we even planned before because this one is an investment. And so it's just knowing where your yeses are. That's the other one too. Like yeses should return something to you, either physical like return in money or an emotional return or a mental return in my mind. You should get some kind of like capital back when you spend money. So sometimes when, I mean, before, as you were talking about, you know, telling the dollars what you want them to do, are you oftentimes telling the dollars in the future where you want them to go ultimately? I mean, you can move current money around, obviously, that's an easy thing to do potentially, but it's the future money that you're starting to say, here's where I'm out, here's the yes, here's where I'm allocating it, here's the decision I'm making, and here's what I'm, I'm not going to do. So there's no immediate gratification. Or I mean some maybe sometimes there is, but this is there's a lot of delay gratification. There is a lot of in... gratification, which okay. I mean to and in case anybody is out there thinking to themselves like, well that's just impossible. Just know that I'm saying this and I am diagnosed ADHD. 
So impulse control and delayed gratification are not my natural sense <laughs> at all. And I'm really money management is not a natural strong suit for those of us with differently wired brains and or like anxieties, right? Like anxiety changes the brain too. And so you're looking at neurodivergence and or like those with mental health struggles. And this concept, I'm telling you, works with I control every dollar. And if I don't have those dollars now, I'm telling future dollars they're going to go there too. And this, I think, is also why I'm not afraid to leverage debt within my business, especially because I know that you you have a lot of really ambitious women. They're working and you're like, that's who your people are. When I, every time I've leveraged debt, it's another version of telling future dollars where to go. Unfortunately, I needed access to those future dollars now in order to make an investment that I wanted to make, like buying this clinic, right? I could have saved for the million, but I would have delayed making even more money if I could have that back now, because now I'm going to be paying back that million, but I'm also going to be increasing our income, increasing our investment portfolio, right? So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, no, I feel confident. I'm going to be able to tell my dollars what to do with that and not being afraid of it. I want to jump into a conversation about debt because I think this is a really important subject as well. Before I do that, though, like this entire conversation, even so far, feels very vulnerable to me. (laughs) And I want to share that with my listeners because I've come a long way in the way I think about money and what I like to call my relationship to money. Most of the time, I still feel like I'm being kind of beat down by it. And I know we've had, we were having a little bit of an exchange of conversation about relationships to money. Like if you were literally to put it into a dating term, if you were to think about if money was the person you were dating or you were in some kind of romantic relationship, how would you describe it? And as I started to think about that, at first I thought it was like somebody that maybe I was casually dating. And then I realized it probably isn't even that. It's like somebody that I'm almost abusively dating, like, like I'm dating and I know I shouldn't be. And they're so mean to me and they are so controlling and I never get to do what I want. And there feels like no freedom. And yet I'm so tethered to them. Like it feels really unhealthy (laughs) or it has in the past. And I'm kind of edging out of that, like for sure. And I'm moving into this place of like, I don't want that relationship anymore. It's time to let it go and move on. But I know for so many of us, even in the way you just initially were describing the big shift that you initially made, which was to stop looking at the bank account to make decisions and to make decisions, I assume, based on desire, want, goals, future you, you know, all of those things, like that's how you make your decisions. And then you make the money happen. And you then make the money happen either by moving current money around or allocating future money, which means you're probably going to have to say no to things or what you're talking about now or what we're about to talk about is leveraging debt, right? And taking on debt. And I'm summarizing a little bit. I think that's where we're at in this conversation. That was a really good summarization. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about leveraging debt a little bit because I came from a kind of a, a money mindset was what was taught to me in my family, or at least the one that I adopted, I actually would say my dad and my mom have very different views of money. But the one I adopted was that debt is bad and that you should never take it on and you should only ever pay for things that you have money in the bank account for right now. And there are some exceptions to that. Things like a car, things like a house, things like education, but probably outside of those three things, like there probably isn't any other thing that you should ever be spending money on that would require debt. So that's what I learned growing up. And so my relationship with debt has been very tumultuous for sure. And I feel so much guilt for taking on debt. And it's so uncomfortable and so insecure. And I would imagine lots and lots and lots and lots of people experience that same that same thing. Like it becomes this almost identity to me. I'm doing something wrong. I'm irresponsible. I'm a bad person. I'm terrible with my money. I don't know what I'm doing. It's all of this like identity stuff then that comes with the debt, you know, the choices that I make. And maybe you were there too or not early on, but I'm curious how you think about debt now and what you teach your clients to think about debt. So what's interesting is like debt, I've always had a semi-positive relationship with debt. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it wasn't because I learned that from anybody or like my parents taught me that, you know, or anything like that. It was because I used debt in a moment to survive 
was the first time I used debt. I used it to survive. I needed something necessary and this was how I was going to get it. And it was either do this or starve, live on the street. When you're in that situation where you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to borrow money then so that I don't starve. You tend to have this like, oh, thank God this was here. Like, I'm so glad I had access to this like lifeline when I needed it. And now I think of it as, which I think this is like, I'm my own venture capitalist when I use debt, is I'm borrowing from future me's income, from future me's wealth in order to actually ensure that that happens now. And so when I think about that, I'm like, well, yeah, of course, future me doesn't mind to help create the future where she can be borrowed from anyway. Hold on a second, because I want to like sit with this image. For you, debt is borrowing from your future self. So you're taking dollars that your future self is going to earn. And you are just saying, may I use these please (laughs) right now for something that I want today that I don't want to wait for, for whatever reason, whatever that decision is. Yeah. Do you have like criteria on which that's okay to borrow from future you? (laughs) Like, is it anything and everything? Like, how do you think about that? So when I think about like going to my future self, like if you, it's a really fun exercise too. And when I think about borrowing from her, it's almost like walking into a banker's office and she's sitting on one side of the desk and I sit on the other side of the desk and I say, I would like this, right? And she always says the number one question, which is why? Like, why do you want this? And so that really makes me check in with the impulse control or like that sense of delayed gratification. Like, okay, yeah, if I'm going to borrow money, right? And if you like to think about it too, if it, if it helps you to build into this exercise, like think about going to your parents for money, right? Think about going to someone else for money and saying, I would like to borrow money from you that I intend to pay back at this rate by this deadline. They're going to want to know what that money's for so that they can ensure that you're going to actually be able to pay it back. So like if you go to buy a house and you're like, I would like a mortgage, please. The bank's like, what's your income? What kind of house are you buying? Nope, you can't afford that kind of house based on your income, according to our system of formula, right? (laughs) That's too risky. This is the amount you're allowed to have. It's kind of that similar conversation. And just like you wouldn't go to the bank to ask for a mortgage, and then you would blow that on, you know, you're like, actually, I think I'm going to go around the world in 80 days, you know, and not buy a house. The bank would be like, nope right? We need to see proof of the how, like you have to go through these steps. So when you think about borrowing from your future self, it's very similar criteria. You want to go to your future self and you want to be like, I am buying this. And that future version of you says, why? And you have to know, like, why am I doing this? What are the benefits? What's the gain? This comes back to your, like, you should gain something from your yes, right? Something from your yes, right? This, it ties in, like your yes should get you something back. And like sometimes, I mean, I have made the case for emotional capital to my future self. I need this. Like I need this right now because I'm so low that this is what I need right now. And this is why I want this thing. Just to be clear, what you're saying is like your happiness is an okay reason to borrow money (laughs) from your future self. Well, maybe not so much happiness because that one, you know, is like you can't be unhappy all the time, but it's like my mental stability and emotional stability needs this right now. Right. So like the example that I'm thinking of is when I hired my first coach, I did not have that money. I did not have that money anywhere. Even as good as I was with money, I could not have anticipated the place my brain and my heart were in enough to have planned for something like that. And all of our dollars had already been told to go to different yeses. And at the time I just had my I just had my third kid who was unplanned, bless his heart, we love him, but he was not supposed to be here so that was a little thrown off too and I had quit my job because of the emotional pe- like it was killing me. And so it was one of those things where it was like literally not bringing in money right now. I am so at a place where something's got to give and it felt like my decision to apply to grad school all over again, right? Like it was like, hey, there we're gonna like we're gonna apply to grad school and we're gonna have these terms and we're gonna invest in getting out of this hole, this mental pit that I've created for myself, or 
we're going to pay rent in full this month. And so when I, when I think about that, I didn't have to skip rent. My kids did not go hungry. Nobody ate mac and cheese for a week, but instead (laughs) I leveraged the excellent credit that I had to secure debt and use debt or the word I prefer is credit, right? Like I borrowed from my future self to pay my first coach. And that investment is, that's returned to me a hundredfold by now. Like my first coach was $800 a month. And I'm like, cool. That was such a smart choice. (laughs) That was such a good decision. You know, well done, Nicole. Great job. And so when you're talking about debt, like, yes. And this is why going to the future self is so important because it checks your thing that you're buying. And if you have to check and you're like, I just want to feel good, right? You're like, okay, great. Are you creating a sustainable way of feeling good? Like, it's just not like a moment of happiness, but like a way to actually create thriving in your life is very different because I very could have easily spent that $800 on like what I would have spent it on now that I think about it. But, you know, I could have gone away for the weekend or I could have like something that would have been more fleeting. But when checking with my future self, my future self's like, that's not going to have the same returns as like this decision. That's another one with leveraging debt too, that you get to be like, no, I'm not a terrible person. I'm actually creating a better me with this. And anything where you're creating a better you, probably worth borrowing from your future self. 1000%. <laughs> Which is why we're coaches, right? And I have this conversation with my clients all the time as they consider investing in coaching with me. And you should, by the way, everybody just checking, just letting you know, you should definitely do it. She's worth every penny. Go ahead. (laughs) Thank you, Nicole. But this conversation around irresponsibility, it feels irresponsible. And usually it feels irresponsible because you're borrowing from your future self. Yes, but you're also borrowing from what feels like your family might benefit from as well, right? Like you are potentially deciding to not take the vacation, for example, or something along those lines where everybody in the household benefits. And this feels like it's like an individual benefit. And that feels terrible. And it feels selfish. And it feels irresponsible to do that. And, you know, people can go in circles around this. And I mean, I would imagine some of these conversations come up for you as well. And having to really think about the benefit of you being the best mom in your family and showing up as the best version of you and, and the effect that will have lifelong on your on your kids and on your marriage and in your work and so forth versus a seven-day vacation or whatever it may be, which is going to come and go and you're going to return to the life and the stress and the situation that you are in before. It can be hard to get our brains there to see it. And because for a lot of the women that listen to this podcast too, they're breadwinners in their family. And so they do, they feel the quote burden of making the most money and needing to be the breadwinner and keeping the family financially afloat. So the investment in ourselves feels so difficult (laughs) and hard. So let's just break down like, what is that actual feeling that we have? Because I'm having a thought, okay? I just want to see, you use the word selfish and irresponsible. Yeah, those tend to be the ones that come up the most. And they're the ones that I have felt, you know, for sure. Though I have now invested, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point. Which again, paying off, right? Like, yeah, call. Good call, past Rebecca. Well done, right? (laughs) Yes. Thinking about these two words, and then you use the word difficult, but is it difficult because it feels irresponsible and selfish? Yes. Yes. Okay. So difficult, really, the difficult comes from the The emotional difficultness of that experience. Like this guilt or selfishness or irresponsibility. And I would like to offer that those feelings feel better and you choose selfish, irresponsible, or guilty. You would rather feel those feelings than worthy of an investment because that is actually the more difficult feeling to feel is considering yourself worthy of investing in because that concept really goes against all of our societal training as women and especially as mothers, right? Yeah. That we are to be the martyrs of our home. We're supposed to be these superhumans that go out and work our jobs and bust it to make, like you said, a lot of these women are breadwinners. Like they have to go out, they're providers for their home right? So they're out in the world. Then they've got to come home and they they shift into that second shift of like mom level. So they're running to karate or swim lessons or therapies or ball games or whatever. 
after hours. And on the weekends, they're still primary grocery shoppers, house cleaners. Like a lot of them are still doing, you know, like their laundry and they're making sure the dinner is served somehow, you know, like whether it's Chick-fil-A or pizza or they cook something, right? Like they're carrying that mental load as well, right? So you have these women who have been taught that we're like conditioned. It's a regular experience to feel unworthy and to feel guilt or to feel heavier way down. And this is just a personal theory. I can't prove this, but I think there's been this ultimate conditioning to keep women out of the workplace. I think that's why it's here. Because like, I look at my husband sometimes and when we've had these conversations, he's very open to it, but he's like, yeah, it's just not as mentally hard for me as it is you. And he's a doctor. Like he cuts things open for a living and performs surgeries, but <laughs> and like actually saves little furry lives every day. And I'm I'm like, yeah, I do feel more mentally tired than you most of the time. Yeah, we do. But it's been made easy. Like it's he's not emailing the school counselor actively, right? Like I replied to that email before we got an hour before this call of like trying to book our IEP meeting for our kid. Right. Like he's not, I'm like, Hey, they want to have the IEP meeting at this time on this day. And he's like, Oh, I can't make that. I've got work. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have work. And I'm like moving around clients and I'm like cutting into my like actual work. Day. Why do you have to do that? And not him. Yeah. This opens up a whole nother, like, <laughs> I feel like this is easier for you somehow. And I just want to offer that that is a conditioning that we get to choose and have agency to step out of at any time just by deciding we're worth the investment, even if we need to leverage debt to do it, because our actual feel better has an amazing ripple effect to our family. And it is easier sometimes to choose like, oh no, it's selfish or, oh, I'm being irresponsible or like feeling that guilt over feeling powerful, worthy. And and like, I am an investment actually. Thank you. You know? Yeah, because you do have to get there at some point. If you're going to make the investment in yourself and something like coaching or something that you want, I mean, if we even just move it outside of coaching, but just anything that you want going back that school, you feel like, right, going back to school or making a career pivot where you don't make as much money or, you know, anything along those lines. Or like help with your health, like your or outsourcing at home, like getting someone to come clean your house rather than you trying to fit it in in between all this like there are so many times where, especially working moms, deny themselves something that they, it would be tight now and it would be uncomfortable to do. We would have to figure out how to make it a part of our new system, but it would be so worth it for their overall growth and thriving as a person to do it. You know, I think we use money as an excuse sometimes to not do the hard thing of like, okay, well, if I hire a coach, I have to fit coaching in, right? Like I have to fit in, you know, like what is your, Rebecca, you do like an hour, right? So like you do an hour a week. They're like, where am I going to fit that hour a week? And rather than trying to figure that out, they're like, oh, I'm just selfish for investing. Right. It just feels selfish. It just feels like impossible. It just feels like I would be irresponsible to be doing that. Right. And really, I just, I would like to offer that that feels better than like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to pay for it and how to fit it in and how to do the work that I'm going to need to do in order to like make everybody's life better, starting with mine. Like out of the outflow of my betterness, everybody benefits. Yes. I love that so much. And when you're convinced of that, it makes the investment, the spending of the dollars or the borrowing of the dollars easier. It starts to make logical sense because you are really understanding the gain of it. You said earlier where you're like, no, if the dollars aren't there, then we can't do it. And it doesn't make sense. Like it wasn't making sense that you make a decision and then you tell the dollars where to go, even if they're not physically there yet. This is how it makes sense. Like you just said, like logically, this makes so much sense because this is a no brainer to do. So yeah, I'm going to figure out how to pay for it in any way possible with my time, my energy and my money. One of the things I coach on with my clients or my potential clients, but I have also done the work a lot in myself when it comes to money, is to never use money as an excuse. Not having the money is never an excuse. It is the most powerless way to make decisions is to say, I can't afford it. Like eradicating it from your vocabulary. You can absolutely afford everything and anything you ever want whether it's current money that you have today or you're borrowing it from your future self 
or it's a combination of saving and then borrowing and whatever it may be, that belief that I could really afford any lifestyle or anything that I ever want. It would be uncomfortable potentially to do lots of those things that would have to happen in order for me to make the life that I want, the purchase that I want, the coaching that I want, the car that I want, the house that I want, the whatever life that the housekeeper that I want, right? It might be very uncomfortable to do the things that it would require for me to have it, but it's possible. And it's so important to take our brains to the point of how would I make this happen right now if I were to do it? Like if I were to invest in the coaching, if I were to buy the car, if we were gonna get the house, like how would we do it? Go through the exercise of figuring it out no matter how uncomfortable it would be. I'd have to ask my parents for money because I don't have enough credit to do it. We would have to eat mac and cheese for weeks. We would have to give up alcohol altogether. Like, you know, whatever it may be, like figure out how you would make it happen so that your brain can see it's possible. You don't have to allocate this decision out to your bank account. You can make it happen. And now it's just a decision on do you want to? Is it worth whatever it's going to take? in order to do it and having a really honest conversation with yourself if the answer is no. Yeah. I like to, like you said, this idea of like, I can't afford it. I always like to say, okay, we spend a lot of time finding all, we're really primed and it's like a default response to figure out how we can't afford it. Like saying no to ourselves, it's just our natural state. And so I always like to be like, okay, now that I've answered that question, how can I not not afford it? Right? Like put my double negative in there. Like not even how, like why. Why can I not afford it? Yeah. Why is it that I can't not not afford this? Essentially saying, why do I have to afford this? Why is this the most important thing above all else? And like really create that list with the same passion and confidence that you create the I can't afford it evidence for. And just really compare the two for a second. Because a lot of times we just don't direct our brain to our own benefit. We just don't do it. We're not practiced at it. Another reason to hire Rebecca as a life coach, just saying, but like you're not practiced at looking at your decisions in a way that you spend time in both the yes and the no. We just go to no when it's anything that feels uncomfortable, new, or we could fall on our face doing it and not get a return. But if you say to yourself like, yeah, I'm definitely going to get a return, even if it's, you know, that I learn... I don't know that I hate coaching and I need a therapist instead. I don't know. Like whatever it is, like you're going to get a return. And if you can guarantee yourself that and you are the only person you're relying on to get it, that's when you start to feel the agency and the power around your financial decisions and you stop outsourcing them as much, right? Because a lot of times as women, especially and moms, like we outsource our financial decisions, the ones that we know we need to make and we permission seek with them. But it's only because the fear of the responsibility of that decision being all on us and we would be to blame if something went wrong is so uncomfortable that we're like, no, 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 we need to, my husband said, no, my husband said, we can't do it. My husband doesn't think it's a good idea. That's because you asked permission rather than you pitched your husband. And if you're a working mom, like, you know what a pitch is. Like, you know, you have to go to people and be like, this isn't working, or I think this could be working better. And you've got to go with like, this is what we need to do. This is how we need to do it. This is where we're going to get the funds from. This is what I want to cut. This is like, especially if you're in any kind of like upper level position, like, you know how to do this lady. Don't kid yourself. You just want somebody to tell you no, because then you don't, you're off the hook. Then you don't have to go through the discomfort. I really think when it comes to money, if you're using money as your excuse or the reason why you cannot do something, Really, it's just because you're afraid you can't do it and everybody just accepts money as like, oh, right, you can afford Like it's a, everybody just accepts it unless of course they come near you and we're like, um, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of similar in the way that everybody understands, oh, I, my kid is sick. I can't do X, Y, or Z. <laughs> or I got to go take care of this with my kid or I got to leave early to do something with my kid. But to say, I'm going to leave or I'm going to take PTO because I want to. Yeah. Our brain gets so, there's so much uncomfortable feelings that surface and our nervous system goes crazy because it feels so selfish and because we don't feel worthy of it, as you were saying earlier, because of all these things. But whenever it's our kid, it's like, oh yeah, everybody understands that, right? And it makes sense. Same thing with spending money. Sometimes I talk to potential clients and I say, well, if you're 
kid wanted to do this. Let's just say they were older and they wanted to do this and they pitched this to you. What would you tell them? And they'd be like, oh, their happiness is everything. I would tell them to go after it. You know, it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> one of those things where like the other thing and I would like to put this like I know that not every working mom has girls or humans that identify as girls. And I would just like to say that one of the things that I bring my brain back around to, because like we both know, Rebecca, like our brains are human brains too. Like we get stuck in these things too. Like we have come up against investments or like decisions where the you are looking at bettering our lives for the simple fact that like we deserve and want better. And like we come up with like, oh, the money, right? And we have this thing. And then I remember that I have two little girls. I remember I have two daughters who are watching me and who are already making their own money decisions. Like they get an allowance, they make money decisions for themselves. And I keep thinking, how do I want them to make their money decisions with the dollars they earn? Like they earn those dollars by doing hard work. And here they are. Like, do I want them to learn that by using those dollars that they worked their butts off for to get? I have the power to tell them what they can do with their money? Or do I want them to feel they have the power of what they can do with their money and let them just make those decisions and learn? And I think that's something too, like if you were a woman, the chances of you making your own money decisions growing up or like ever was probably very small until you got your first job. And even then you may have been checking your money decisions against someone else or like because nobody taught you how to make money decisions at a young age, you felt irresponsible with your money when you first started making it because you didn't know what to do. Like you literally did not have a financial education. And so I would just like to offer that one, there's still time to learn those things and learn them well. Like life's not over. They're still here Two, like have grace for the you that didn't know. You didn't know. Nobody taught you. That's not on you. What is on you is what you do now with the dollars that you earn and the mentality you want to use for yourself moving forward. What strikes me is that process of learning, as with anything that we learn, it's uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. It's so hard to learn. We have to face the things that we don't have. We have to feel guilty about it. We have to feel selfish about it. I mean, all these emotions are going to come up, at least momentarily, that we have to face. They're all going to feel terrible to us, and we're going to come to the other side of it. I feel like I face this with my daughter, who is eight and in second grade, when we talk about things like math or reading, and she she just wants it to be easy. And that's kind of what she tells me. It's like, I don't want, I just want this to be easy and it's not. And like, yeah, the other hard work, the, the learning process is one of discomfort and that to get to the other side, the benefits, like, let's talk about the benefits, you know, and she'll, we do talk about that every once in a while. One of the ones that is funny to me that comes up is like, I could, I could secretly read your texts if I know how to read. And I'm like, yes, you can. Yes. Oh, I love it. But like, It's just so good because like you're teaching the daughter and how doing the hard thing now and being uncomfortable now is actually like reading is going to be easy for her one day. Yes, of course. You know, like basic subtraction is going to be easier for her. Like it is going to get easier because she is doing the work to make it easier. And it's when we just keep delaying that work and living in a tolerable version of our lives We literally could be buying a better version of our lives just by investing in the thing we know we need to invest in. And I think as working moms specifically, like it is our obligation to set these examples because nobody taught us. And right now, a lot of us are not teaching our daughters or even our sons how to, our sons too. Like there are a lot of things with men and money that need to dissipate too. And so I just feel strongly that if you're listening to this podcast, everyone, you know the value of coaching and you would go through these discomforts like Rebecca said, but also you would have a coach to sit with you if you made that investment. That is what the coaching industry is all about, essentially, right? It's helping you to live the life that you want to live today instead of settling for the tolerable life that you currently live, right? And yes, there's a cost to that. You're buying the life that you want to live, but why is that not worth it to you? I mean, that's such a big question to be asking. Why not? (laughs) Just this is my favorite. And I tell my clients this all the time, like you're going to spend your money anyway. And you're either going to be spending it buying this tolerable version, like this, like fine, we're like 
dealing with it version of your life. Like you're going to use your money to buy that version of your life, or you're going to use your money to buy the life you actually are proud to live and love and enjoy living. And so like you're spending your money either way. What are you going to do? You're going to go through the pain of spending anyway. Like what are you going to buy? What kind of life are you going to buy? Because everything in life is bought. That's my like money coaching philosophy. Like everything in life is bought. And so you're buying your experience of being burnt out or tired or unbalanced or like feeling stretched thin at home or whatever it is, you're buying that experience for yourself. And so you're spending that money anyway. So you might as well find the money for the coach or the money for the housekeeper or the money for like, whatever it is, you might as well be like, okay, well, because that actually buys me a life that I really want to enjoy and thrive in. Oh, so good. So good. I feel like we could talk about this and we might have to have another podcast to talk about this <laughs> as my as I continue to ebb and flow and change in my own relationship with money. I have a feeling there'll be more conversations to come around money on this podcast. But this has been so great, Nicole. Thank you for being here, for sharing with us. Tell us if somebody is interested in working with you, what should they do? How do they get a hold of you? Give me all of the details. And of course, I'm going to put all of it in the show notes too. But just share a little bit about kind of like, who do you work with since we didn't really get through that and how they can get a hold of you? Hi, my name is Nicole Storkestad. I'm the money coach. I work with individuals and families, couples at the same time. What I do is I teach them the process so that they can always love every money decision that they make and they can use those decisions to buy and build a life that they're proud to live. We do that within a four-month process. If you're interested in learning more, come stalk me on the medias. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I secretly have a TikTok. Everything is NSH Money Coaching. So NSHMoneyCoaching.com, NSH, at NSH Money Coaching. Um, you'll be able to find me on all of the places and spaces. And I would love to hear from you. So good. Thank you for being here, sharing your wisdom. You are amazing and have so much to offer us. And so just their world would be such a better place. Their lives would be like shook up, I think. You're going to be a shakeup for somebody to be living the life that they have always dreamed about living. So, so good. So excited for people to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right, Working Moms. Till next week and let's get to it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want a little extra support as a working mom, I invite you to download my free training, The Secret to Ending Your Workday at 5 p.m. In this free training, I teach you how to shut down your computer and your work brain at exactly the time you want without all those feelings of guilt and like you need to log back on. By the end of this training, you will know exactly what you need to think and do in order to fully engage with your family even after a long workday. To sign up for the training, you can go to www.ambitiousandbalancedcollective.com forward slash end dash work dash at dash 5 p.m. If you didn't catch all that, don't worry. Check the show notes for a direct link. All right, working moms, let's get to it.